Welcome to In the Labyrinth of Death, the podcast where we explore the choices people make in disasters and whether those choices keep them alive. I'm Finn. And I'm Marina. This week, we're talking about crowds, specifically crowd collapses and crowd crushes. We're bringing this up partially because of the crowd crush tragedy that happened in Seoul on Halloween less than a month ago, and partially because we're releasing this on Black Friday a day that has had more than its fair share of deaths and injuries related to crowd dynamics. But it's important to remember that any poorly managed crowd can become deadly, so you always need to be aware of your surroundings if you're around a bunch of people. Now, I wouldn't say that we're people who get out much, would you? No, it's been a while since we were out in a crowd, even pre-COVID. Yeah, I think the last time we were actually like out among humanity, we went to a small concert venue at night. I remember we went down to the main area and someone actually spilled a beer on my foot and I was just so gross. I just wanted to die. There was too many people and too many liquids. Yeah, I think next time we're going to stay in the stands up top. Yeah, especially after this episode. Before we dive in, just remember we're not experts. We just really don't want to die and we like talking about ways to avoid dying. So please listen to the full disclaimer at the end of the episode and don't sue us. So the story we're going to get started with this week is called The Hillsborough Disaster. It was April 15th, 1989 in Sheffield, England. There was a football FA Cup semifinal game that day. It was Liverpool versus Nottingham Forest, and it was a really big deal. People were super psyched for it. So to set the scene, this whole crowd control disaster happened at a fairly standard looking sports stadium called the Hillsborough Stadium. Although it was kind of small and old looking, it was built in like 1899, and so it was like 100 years old at that point. It had recently gotten some new barriers installed to keep the rival teams separated to reduce the possibility of conflict between the two teams' fans. And just a little history, in 1981 and again in 1987, there was poor crowd control and minor crowd crushes resulting in injuries but not deaths at the stadium. They didn't do anything to fix their crowd control in the two years leading up to our story. So on this day, there were two standing room only areas for the Liverpool fans and they call them standing terraces. These standing terraces were actually blocked off with physical barriers to keep the fans separated. Like, they were literally like metal gates. There were only expected to be around 10,000 people in, like, the Liverpool section of the the standing room gated areas. And all of them were going to have to enter the stadium through seven turnstiles. And it's interesting because there was actually more of the Liverpool fans. It's just the way it worked out. Liverpool fans were being funneled way more than the Nottingham Forest ones were. Now again, remember, they wanted to keep the two teams separated, their fans separated, apparently at like literally all cost. Like I said, there were fewer Nottingham Forest fans that day, but the way they split up the pathways into the stadium, the Nottingham Forest folks actually had two main entrances in addition to the extra turnstiles, and the Liverpool fans were all going to be funneled through one entrance. Interestingly, this exact same match, the FA Cup semifinal, Liverpool versus Nottingham Forest, had been played exactly the year previously. Same people, same place, same everything. One big difference in terms of crowd control, though, is that the crowd control was managed the previous year by Chief Superintendent Brian L. Mole. But he actually had some like weird hazing controversies committed by his underlings, and he was actually transferred to a different department this year, so he was uninvolved. So there was actually somebody new this year to manage the crowd control. He was the newly promoted Chief Superintendent David Duckenfield, So just keep that in mind going forward that this was a person who was new to the crowd control situation. Now let's dig into the timeline for the disaster. So between 2.30 and 2.40, the police noticed that folks were starting to pile up at the entrance for the Liverpool team because they wanted to get into the game early to get settled down before it started at 3 o'clock. 
It quickly became so crowded that people went to the wrong turnstile sometimes, just because you don't know what your ticket was. But when you got up to the front of the Liverpool turnstiles, you were so packed at the turnstiles, you actually couldn't turn around to get into the correct entrance for the other team. So the police knew that they wouldn't be able to get everybody through these turnstiles in time for that 3 p.m. start. So one of the police constables actually radioed into the stadium to say, hey guys, we need to delay the game for 20 minutes. This is the same thing we did last year. Let's just do it again this year. But for whatever reason, this year, the constable's request was denied. So they were still rushing to get people in for the 3 p.m. start of the game. So this is big fuck up number one. So fearing that the eager fans were going to cause a crush actually outside of the stadium at this point as they were trying to funnel into the one entrance, the police on the outside actually opened up an exit gate and then two additional entrance gates to let more people get into the stadium quickly. So this is fuck up number two. They've like opened up all these additional gates of people trying to get in at once. So while doing so, opening all those gates allowed people to enter the stadium efficiently they still had to squeeze every single person through one entrance tunnel in order to get to the two Liverpool standing room pens. And so one other difference from the previous year, historically, there had been police officers at the end of the tunnel, so right before the pens, to direct people into going into empty pens. So not just the two main ones, but like additional side pens once the two main ones filled up. This year, there were zero officers providing directions, which is big fuck up number three. And this is the really big one, because that means that all of these people were getting funneled into only two pens that got tighter and tighter as more and more people flooded in. And again, because this is like the 80s, the police outside had basically no idea what was going on inside of the stadium. And the police on the field inside the stadium didn't know what was happening in the pens above them. I feel like having walkie talkies could have solved this. Or at least prevented a lot of what the fuck-ups contributed to. Yeah, I think it was... I mean, they did have walkie-talkies. It's a guy outside called into the stadium. I just don't know if they weren't using it or if they just weren't aware of how quickly the situation was turning bad. Or if they were just untrained in how and when to start communicating the status. Because it was a new guy, maybe didn't have a good plan. Like, who knows? It could have been anything. But regardless, the outside and the inside just weren't communicating with each other. In fact, when people actually started climbing over those barriers to escape the crowd crush, The police inside the stadium tried to force them back down into the crush because they thought they were invading the pitch. And this is fundamental fuck up number four. Now at 3.04 p.m., and remember this is only a few minutes after the game started at 3 and 24 to 34 minutes since the beginning of the story, there is like a loud sound because a shot hits the top of the goal. And it's questionable whether people actually heard that or not. I heard one survivor account who said he wasn't aware, so it depends on who you talk to. But whether it actually caused the surge or not, there was a big surge in the back of the crowd at this time, and that actually pushes more people even tighter into the pens. And at this point at 3.04, one of the gates on the pens actually breaks down, like the metal barrier breaks down. And finally, seeing all this insanity, at 3.05, the in-stadium police commander realized that a crush was happening and finally had the ref stop the game. At that point, they thought for only 30 minutes. At this point, all hell had broken loose. Some people had actually managed to bust like small holes in the fences, so there were some people escaping through those holes. Other folks were trying to climb over the barriers or kind of pushing people over to get them to help too. I'm going to read you guys an abbreviated excerpt from a survivor account written by Damien Cavanaugh in 2005, who was 20 at the time. Quote, The crowd pressure was ever increasing, and the lads on the crush barrier behind me were really struggling. This was as bad as I'd ever experienced, and it was getting worse. It didn't feel like a surge, more like steadily increasing overcrowding. I'd been to loads of matches when the crowd pressure had been uncomfortable, 
and where at times you had no control over your own movement. There have been many occasions where people had fainted or were just so overwhelmed that they were pushed upwards over the heads of the crowd, then ferried down by outstretched hands to the top of the cop for the St. John's Ambulance Gang to look after them. Maybe six feet in front of me, a fellow said, Come on, lads, let's get this young girl out. And people tried to help. She looked maybe 12 years old or so, with dark hair. I can't say I know what happened to her. The singing had well stopped around me by now, with everybody here struggling. There were cries for help, cries of pain, and cries to the police just a matter of yards in front of me to open the gates of the perimeter fence. The police were ignoring the request, and as I caught the eyes of one myself, I made a point of shouting at him to open the gates. He just looked at me, pointed behind me, and mouthed at me to get back, which was of course totally impossible. It appeared as though a gate down at the front had sprung open under the pressure, but it looked to me as though the police were pushing the crowd back in. Despite the pleading with the police to open the gates, nothing was being done, and I knew that I was on my own here if I wanted out. And I knew that I had to get out. How on earth could what was happening to us behind that goal have been missed, or even worse, ignored? End quote. So what's strange to me is that the police who should be facilitating people going out were actually pushing people back in. Is there like an explanation for that? Yeah, a, a big part of the problem is that, and the whole reason they put up the stupid fences in the first place, is that they were so focused on the idea of hooliganism. Like, these guys are major fans of these football teams. They go in there, they start fights and all that stuff. So that's the, the kind of like antagonistic situation the police were in with the fans that day because they were expecting hooligans. They were going to rush the pitch. They were going to have to deal with that. And so that's the lens that the police were looking at it with. And the people inside the pens are being crushed to death, and the police aren't seeing that. They're seeing people trying to rush the pitch, and that's why they're pushing them back in. Oh, I thought they were trying to push people who were trying to leave the stadium back into the stadium. They're trying to push them, so the people were spilling out of like the standing area yeah, yeah, I see. I onto the stadium, and they're pushing them out of the stadium back in, like out of the field back in. Out of in. the field back into the stands, yeah. Yeah, exactly. The people who were unable to escape the pens remained trapped within the crowd crush, slowly asphyxiating to death. In total, 94 people died that day. One more died a few days after, when they were taken off life support. Then many years later, in 1997, another victim was taken off life support, which brought the total up to 96 victims. The final victim was taken off of life support in 2021, bringing the total up to 97 deaths total. The whole thing was just batshit crazy. And if you guys are interested, the subsequent hearings and the finger pointing is a whole separate drama. It's like a whole novel. I wonder what kind of medical complication could lead to somebody surviving for so many decades afterwards that they could still be on life support. To be honest, I didn't look into those people's cases specifically. My guess is oxygen deprivation, maybe. So like iron lung kind of stuff? I'm not sure what was available to them at the time, but I believe that the people who were taken off life support were in a vegetative state. So after the fact, weren't the police initially trying to blame the fans for rushing in? Yeah, they were. And you actually see that a lot in these cases where people use the word stampede and like people were panicking and being stupid. But really, it's an issue of crowd control and not the fans themselves. Sure. Crowd crushes and crowd safety are both pretty deep subjects. There's a continuous flow of scholarly articles and research, and I found that you can even get a PhD in it, which is absolutely crazy. Yeah, and I found two kind of textbooky books by one of the experts named Dr. Keith Still. I've linked them both in our bookshop in case anybody's interested in reading them. Yeah, to me, they look pretty dense, but I know that you're interested in buying them. Yeah, I may never actually read them, but if I do buy them, then I have the option to read them if the mood ever strikes me. 
Anyway, can you explain what could go wrong in a crowd in terms of physics? Sure. So two big crowd flow issues can happen. Crowd crushes and crowd collapses. They're two distinct but related phenomena. You'll sometimes hear the term stampede, but to me that's an honestly shitty term because it implies that the resulting injuries or deaths are the fault of the crowd itself. But the real fault is with whoever actually planned or organized the event or whoever should be managing the crowds, whether that's security staff or the actual police. This should be something that professionals are trained specifically to handle. If they aren't, the consequences can be deadly, like we saw in the Hillsborough disaster, among others. At the root of it, a lot of these crowd dynamics has to do with how much space a human takes up, or rather how many people can exist within one square yard. Picture a three foot by three foot square in your head. So for the Brits out there, it's one meter by one meter approximately. One average human takes up an oval space in that square that's about one foot by two foot. You're generally safe in a crowd when there's about two to three people within that same square yard, and probably even when there's four. Now, it's when you start getting to about five and above within that same square yard or square meter that you start putting yourself and other people in that square at serious risk. So, five, six, seven people in one square yard, everyone is being packed in so tightly that that whole group becomes more like a fluid than five individual bodies. You're going to find yourself picked up and moved along the group with very little agency of your own. At this point, you've got an increasing risk for a crowd crush, and you're already at risk for a crowd collapse. And a crowd collapse is precisely what it sounds like. Somebody loses their footing and it creates a literal domino effect of people as the crowd tumbles in on itself around the fallen. If you end up within this vertical pile of people, you can have your bones broken. You can get crushed and you can also asphyxiate. Speaking of which, one of the worst crowd collapses and subsequent crowd crushes happened in 2005 in Mina Mecca as thousands of people funneled across a single bridge. The estimates vary, but over 2,000 people died that day. We may have to do a deep dive on the Mina tragedy in a future episode. There's a lot to unpack there. That definitely merits a deep dive on its own. Now, a crowd crush can happen when there's even more people crammed together in that one square yard or square meter, up to nine, which absolutely blows my mind. So in my line of work, I use a meter stick literally every single day, so I've got a really solid mental construct of how much a square meter is in terms of space. Now, when I think about putting somebody in that same square meter of space, I'd be uncomfortable having more than one person in there with me. The thought of having four or more people occupy that same square meter is absolutely unthinkable. Imagine putting four yardsticks on the floor in the shape of a square and then trying to fit not four or five, but nine people together in that space. It literally does not work. It'll just crush people together so tightly that they're unable to expand their own lungs and they can asphyxiate standing up. Just visualize a block of human flesh that cannot literally breathe and that's what a horizontal pile is. This is opposed to a vertical pile in a crowd collapse, where people are falling on top of each other like a stack of pancakes. In a horizontal pile, you can asphyxiate in as little as 10 minutes. And once the crowd is crammed into that little space so tightly, it is incredibly difficult to extricate people just because there's literally no wiggle room to do so, 
Remember, you're visualizing a block of human flesh. There's really no room in between. It's like the fluid crowd that I talked about earlier. All the spaces are removed, so it's just one solid mass. And for anyone following the news lately, I saw this in some of the videos that came out from the Halloween soul disaster. When the first responders finally arrived, they couldn't even pull the people out at the front of the alley, even though they were facing free open space. They had just become lodged like inextricably together. Now, I'm not claustrophobic, but that sounds like a terrible way to die. What can somebody do in that situation to avoid being killed in a crowd collapse or a crowd crush? So the number one for me is just avoiding the situation entirely if you can. Like, we're not outside people, but if you are going to be in a crowd, you should know the signs. Pay attention. How tightly are people being packed in there? Can you still move freely in the crowd? Are you beginning to approach that four-plus person in a square yard where you're going to become part of a fluid? And then also take a look at how the crowd is being handled. In the case of the Seoul disaster last month, it literally wasn't being handled at all until the very end, despite numerous phone calls to the police hours before the crush actually became deadly. And if you notice that the crowd is getting dangerous and there's no one handling the crowd control, you need to get the fuck out because you don't know what the tipping point is going to be in terms of bodies in that space. And if it is being handled by people, do they look like they're competent? Are they moving people in a good control flow? Are they just making the actual issue worse? And remember, in the Hillsborough disaster, those policemen were making the situation worse, so pay attention. Yeah, I feel like having good situational awareness about who is like, quote unquote, in charge or other authority figures is a good measure of how safe you are. Because if the people who are like wearing the yellow jackets, for example, are looking alert and aware and they're just trying to gauge who's doing what in your space, it's a good sign that you're being orchestrated by somebody who knows what they're doing. Yeah. And are they directing traffic? Are they on radios with other people? Is there a clear indication of where the flow is going? And is it narrowing? Just like pay attention to the whole situation. A lot of times in these situations, things turn deadly because people are One, funneled into a bridge or a tunnel or some other restrictive pathway, like in the Mina tragedy. Or, people have become trapped in a dead end, like they did in the Hillsborough tragedy up against the gates. So ask yourself, do you feel people touching you on all four sides at once? That's a really good gauge of how dense the crowd is around you. Are you still moving with your own agency, or are you just going with the flow of the crowd? Now, if you're already in like the tipping point of a crowd where it's getting bad, You want to go with the flow, but try to move to the side of the main area of activity. So if there's like a crush starting to happen, let the flow take you because you can't fight it and go backwards, but try to work your way towards the outside edges of it. You might actually be able to slip away if you can get over to the sides where it's less concentrated. And if you are traveling with a small child, first don't take small children or animals into crowds, but if you find yourself in one, Try to get them above the crowd if you can, because they're not going to be able to breathe as long as you can in that crush situation. So you want to try to put them up on your shoulders and just get them above it if you can. But especially in this scenario, you need to be super careful not to lose your footing. And if you do fall, get back up ASAP. And that's super important whether you've got a small child or not. And also, if you're around somebody else that fell, do your best to help them up without making yourself fall as well. And that's not just, you know, altruistic. That's for yourself and everyone else. That one falling person, if people start tripping over them, could actually start a crowd collapse. That's going to crush you and everybody else under that pile of humans. Now, if it starts to get really tight, you can brace your arms in front of you. 
Basically, imagine sticking your arms out straight ahead and then bend your arms and grab your opposing elbows to kind of make a square in front of your chest. This is going to give you a reinforced space to breathe in. And if you're lucky enough to have on a backpack, move that to the front of your body rather than your back, because this is also going to give you some additional space to breathe and space yourself. And just to tie this back to current events, if you're listening today on release day, it's Black Friday. So some of you may or may not be interested in shopping in person. And a lot of those big box retailers like Walmart, Costco, Best Buy have people lining up to shop and they may or may not be moving quickly. So in those cases where there's large crowds and there's moving crowds, you could get caught in a trampling situation. Now, you're not likely to die, but you could get pretty seriously injured. So to prevent that, you're going to want to get up as quickly as you can or help other people who have fallen. This is unrelated to specifically crowd crushes or crowd collapses, but the dynamics can be similar because of the volume of people involved. The other option is just don't leave your house on Black Friday, which is my way of living. Yeah, nowadays, e-commerce has been so streamlined that there really is no reason to shop in person, especially on a busy day like Black Friday. And in a lot of cases I've seen, you'll actually get better deals by staying in and shopping online anyways. And there's one more kind of holiday in-person activity that I want to bring up, and that's going to the movie theater. And I know most people don't do that anymore, but I still love it. I bring that up in this crowd crush situation because I found a whole bunch of historical cases of fires happening in theaters and other places like that, where a bunch of people run for an exit all at the same time, and they actually get wedged in kind of the hallway or in the doorway itself trying to get out of the building. So if you're in a movie theater or some other contained situation like that, and there's a fire and everyone's running for one exit, if there's a clear exit that's maybe not the closest one to you, but it's not as crowded and you can get to it safely, maybe take that one so you don't get wedged at the other exit that may be closer to you. Yeah, crowd crushes happen way more often than most people realize. I was looking over the list of crowd disasters on Wikipedia and it's absolutely insane. Each one is different, but at the core, it's always poor crowd control. It's a preventable kind of death. Yeah, so be aware for what to look for with regard to crowd control so you can keep yourself out of that bad situation. I also definitely want to dig more into some of the other crowd disasters that we saw on that list because we can learn something from each one and that's going to help us make more informed choices and hopefully help us avoid a miserable death and this labyrinth of death that we're all trapped in in this dark and chaotic universe. On that note, I think that's all we've got for crowds this week. All right, as always, don't forget that we have a website in the labyrinthofdeath.com. It's got links to all of our sources that we use to research and also a link to some cool books if you're looking for a deeper dive on any of our subjects. You can also reach us at in the labyrinth of death in Instagram. Follow us, leave us a review wherever you listen, tell your friends, we'd really appreciate it. Tune in next week for a new episode of In the Labyrinth of Death. In the meantime, send us your near misses with death to inthelabyrinthofdeath at gmail.com. See y'all next week. Remember, we're not experts in basically anything. This podcast is researched and presented by enthusiasts for entertainment purposes only. None of the content you have heard should be taken as legal, medical, financial, survival, or any other kind of advice please consult with actual professionals for life decisions of all kinds. Mm-hmm.